Hey everyone, welcome to the NPFCC Messages podcast. In our series, God and Sexuality, we're looking at God's heart for His design, how God is the creator of our sexuality, and how His design for it is beautiful and good. We know this is a sensitive topic in our culture today, and it's broader than we can cover in just four messages. So we created a resource page you can check out at npfcc.org slash godandsexuality. This webpage has links to our recommended reading list, as well as a place for you to submit questions that we'll discuss on April 23rd and May 7th after the service. But thanks again for tuning in to this message, and we're praying for you as you absorb it. You know, we're, we're, uh, well, I just want to welcome you this morning. Glad that you are here. Um, we, whether you're here in the room, whether you're joining us online, we're really glad. I mean, we're in week three of our sermon series, God and Sexuality, and look, you're still here, right? And um, it's, been, it's been quite a ride, um, and lots and lots of conversation. Uh, that's going on, and that is what excites me. You know, a few weeks ago, I told you about my introduction into the kind of world of thinking about sexuality as a neighbor kid, you know, and I was like, I don't know, eight years old or so, the neighbor kid just flashed me the centerfold of a Playboy magazine, and, you know, before I was ready to even, like, know what to do with all that, you know, there it was right in front of me. And, and, and it, you know, and I have to say the crazy part is that that picture still is etched into my mind. And, and, and it's crazy because that, that's what happens. That's, that's how our minds work. One of the interesting things about that is, is you know, I, I think I told you, I went in and told my mom what had happened. She says, oh man, she, she panicked, told my dad, oh, you got to go talk to, talk to Ken now because he needs more information. And so... Uh, so my dad proceeded to tell me, you know, the whole story, and the neighbor kid had obviously gotten it wrong. Well, just a year later, just a year later, I had another experience where um, my brother, who's a couple years younger than me, um, I, I don't even know what was going on, but he said something to my mom, and the same thing happened, and so my mom told my dad, hey, now you got to go have the conversation with Mark. He needs the talk, right? And... Um, and so, for whatever reason, my dad says, hey, Ken, you're coming with me on this one. I, I, I don't know what he thought I was going to do for backup, but my dad drags me in the room to have the conversation with my younger brother, and my dad, he looks at my younger brother, and, and, and I'll never forget this, he, he says, son, we need to talk about sex. And my brother looks at my dad and says, yeah, what do you want to know? For some of you that know my brother, you are not surprised. <laughs> Love you, Mark. Um, it is crazy that especially in this area of sexuality, we think that we can tell the Father how it works. That we get desires and passions and things all going in our lives, and then we have the audacity to try to tell God, like, hey, God... This is how it's supposed to work. And, and God looks back at us, and I think sometimes, I think he does this with me all the time for a lot of different topics. He looks at me and goes, who do you think you are? <laughs> you know, and, and the reality is, is we have to humble ourselves and recognize that our heavenly Father, he knows more. 
He, he, and, and he knows better, and he wants better. Here's something that I hope you recognize, not just about this area, but every single area of your life, that however it is, right now at this moment, God wants better for you. You, you may be going, yeah, life is good. No, God wants better for you. You, you may say, oh man, my life is a mess, so I'm glad he wants better. Man, you have no idea how much better he wants things for you. And I am convinced with the confusion and the mess of sexuality in our culture today that this is an area where God is just longing for us to turn to him because he wants so much better for you and for me. The question, is, folks, is this. Do you believe it? Do you believe he wants better? You know, back in week one, we talked about why we need this series. And, and I, I shared about how, while our culture's ideas of sexuality have continued to morph, kind of following a natural human, humanistic progression of, of seeing sexuality from a consumer mindset, simply believing that if we have a desire, that we should just fulfill it. The church, though, for, for far too long, has been silent on the topic. And, and, and because of that, um, uh, we haven't said much, and, and also that we have, because of our silence, we've given this uh, notion that sexuality is a bad or dirty thing that we shouldn't talk about. And because we've been silent, we have missed out on God's best for us in this area of our life. And, and I think because of that, we, most of us have experienced some degree of sexual brokenness either by choices that we have made or choices and actions that other people have made and inflicted upon us. You know, we, we humans tend to be spiritual, uh, we tend to separate spirituality and sexuality. We think spirituality is for God and sexuality is for me. And I get to decide what's best for me and my body. That's kind of what we think. In fact, it was interesting, in, in uh, 2016 there was a New York uh, Times magazine article um, about the musician Prince, yeah, and, um, and it was called Holy Lust, and, and this is what Prince said. Prince said, God planted these urges in us, so there's ne it's never wrong to feel this way. The urge itself is a holy urge, so whatever your urge, you should fulfill it. And I think he's speaking for a lot of our culture. Right, This feeling like, well, if I have a urge or a desire, like I should just fulfill it. And, and we've allowed ourselves to be discipled by the culture rather than by God's design and the way of Jesus. And we're all paying a price personally and culturally for this misunderstanding, right? Or let's just say it, this disobedience. Meanwhile, our young people are being discipled by the culture which continues to distance itself from a biblical view of sexuality. And that's bad news. But I'm really glad that our students are with us and hope that they're gleaning a lot of this because we're praying for you guys because you guys get to get it right the first time. You know, but there is good news. Here's the good news. We serve a gracious God who provides a way back. Uh, through God's grace, forgiveness, and restoration, through following the way of Jesus and recognizing his truth, we can engage in sexual discipleship 
that can renew and restore the blessings and the joy of God's good plan for our sexuality. This is the real purpose for this entire series. So last week, we took a look upward uh, to see what God has to say about sexuality. We discovered that God has a lot to say about this topic of sexuality. While the church has been silent, God certainly is not silent. And some of it, there are times where we wish he wouldn't say that. We wish he might say it differently, but here's the reality. God has given us clear guidance in the area of sexuality. It's just, again, whether or not we will trust him with it. We discovered at the very beginning in Genesis chapter one, God created sexuality. That, that he made mankind male and female. He created us as sexual beings. And in chapter two, we discovered that because of the wonderful differences in the creation, because we were different, male and female, that God created marriage to bring them together so that they could experience oneness. And this oneness was pretty amazing. It's what the Bible calls, it uses the word yada, which means to know. Okay, not just kind of know something, but to know intimately. To, to really feel and be part of something together. This was God's good design. And because this physical, emotional, spiritual oneness was so powerful and demanded so much vulnerability on our part, it needed the safeguard of marriage. And that's why God created it. So God's design is still, um, was and still is, for sexual oneness to be experienced in the covenant relationship of marriage between a man and a woman. Why? Because sexual oneness, sexual intimacy, is not simply a physical act. Now, I, I know, you know, joking, all joking aside, I know a lot of the men in the room just got confused. Right? It is an intertwining of two lives into one. It, it's, it's a model and an example of the oneness of God in all of his fullness. You know, God is three in one. We, we, we don't get to go that far. We, we get two in one, right? But then we invite God into that mix. And, and what's amazing is, is that God wants us to experience this oneness. Jesus reaffirms this in Matthew 19, four to six, where he says, um, he says to this, he says, at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. As we look deeper into God's design, we discovered that, that God created boundaries for our sexuality. Some people like to call them rules or laws, right? And then we could don't like rules so much, so we try to push back against them. But numerous times throughout Scripture, we are exhorted not to allow the desires of our flesh or the example of the world to cause us to live in sinful ways that work against God's good design and, and cause us to be separated from God. We, we looked at 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 that says, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, right? And everybody's like, okay, who is that? Well, the sexually immoral we talked about last week, it comes from the Greek word porneo, which means any sexual activity outside of marriage. And then he goes on, he says, not only is sexually immoral, but he says, 
or the idolaters or the adulterers. And we talked about how Jesus said if you've lusted, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So adultery is not just a, a sight issue. It's not just a physical thing. It's a heart issue. And that's where we need the heart surgeon to come in and help us. It's a desire issue. And then he goes on, he says, nor men who have sex with men. Yes, the Bible does say that homosexuality is a sin, just like all the other sins that are listed. Even here in verse 10, it says, nor thieves, nor, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that, that, that's pretty heavy will not inherit the kingdom of God. We spoke about how it is wrong, though, to pull one sexual sin out of that context and, and, and make it worse than any others. But we must all realize this, that we are all sinners. Can somebody say amen? We're all sinners saved by grace. E even if you didn't have a sexuality issue, you might have a greed issue, you might have a drinking issue, you might have a slandering issue, you might have all kinds of things that stop us from inheriting the kingdom of God. And in fact, I believe that all of us, all of us, especially in our culture today, have sexual sin of some sort. In fact, I'm willing to say that in our culture, there's probably not one person who has not experienced some degree of lust. Uh, and, and if you have, then this verse tells us that we're living in a way that's contrary to God's plan for sexuality, and that sin separates us from God and from the kingdom that he longs for us to be part of. But here's the good news. Verse 11, okay, right after those verses, verse 11 is the gospel. It says this, it says, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Folks, that's good news. Amen? That no matter what it is that we've done, no matter what's going on inside of us, that we have a loving and forgiving God who says we can come to him and we can find forgiveness. And, and this is where we move to today's, really dive into today's message as we look inward and ask this question. In light of the truth of God's word, how should I live out my sexuality? And I found this quote, there's this really good book that I've been reading called um, The Deeply Formed Life by a guy named Rich um, Velotis. And, and he says this, um, really good quote, he says, at the core of the relationship between sexuality and spirituality is desire and longing. What we do with our sexual desires and longings says a lot about what we believe about God. Did you catch that? Like, what we do with our sexual desires and longings says a lot about what we truly believe about God. Do we truly believe that God has our best interests in mind? Or do we think that God's trying to hold something back for us? Do we believe that, that God is irrelevant when it comes to my sexuality? What we believe about him comes out in the way that we act in terms of our sexuality. I think we can all admit the struggle lies at this intersection between obedience to our desires or to God's desire for us. Between seeking my pleasure or pleasing God. Uh, this was in fact the original sin. 
When Eve was first tempted, the devil first got uh, her to question God, right? She, she's standing there in front of the tree. The serpent is there, and the serpent tempts her. And the first thing that the devil says is, is that she says, did God really say? I, I can't tell you how many times when it comes to topics of sexuality that people are like, does, does the Bible really say that? Does, is that really what God says? Is that really what God intended? The devil causes us to, to question God's good law. And, and, and then the devil goes on and he tells, he not only tells devil, uh, Eve to question God, the devil tells Eve that God was wrong. He says, the, the devil says, you will not certainly die if you eat that fruit. And isn't that what the world is telling us? Like, that's, that's not wrong. Like, God, God didn't really say that. And you know what? That's, that's not, you, you've got you to be true to you. you. You know, if you feel it, just like Prince said, if you feel it, if you got the urge, you should just feed that. You should just go with that. Because, like, if it's created in you, then, then you should just follow that. Like, and, and the world tries to convince us that, that God is wrong on the topic. And then the devil tells her, you know what, God's trying to keep something from you. He says, you know, you won't surely die. In fact, he says, you know what, God just knows that if you eat the fruit, you're gonna become like him. And, and the devil tricks Eve into thinking that God is trying to keep something from her by telling her not to eat the fruit. And, and, and so the reality is, is that it says that the, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree, so after this exchange with the devil in Genesis 3, 6 and 7 says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and check this out, oh, hard to see that one, pleasing, okay, pleasure, pleasing, good to the eye, I would just call that kind of lust, right? And also desirable, so there's our desires poking in. So it was pleasing, it was gonna give her pleasure. It was desirable, she wanted it, she desired it for gaining wisdom. She took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with him and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and it messed up their sexuality. Did you see that? Because all of a sudden they realized they were naked. Before this, there was no shame in it, there was no anything. They were both, it tells, the Bible says they were naked and they had no shame. But then all of a sudden, they're naked and they gotta cover up. Why? Because they fell for the lies of the devil. And, and the devil in our world is constantly trying to trick us. And we need to make sure that we understand God's good plan for this area of our life. The first sin was giving into what was pleasing and desirable rather than trusting and pleasing God. And it impacted their sexuality. Some people ask, why did God give us this desire and then tell us we couldn't fulfill it? I mean, I hear that all the time, right? Well, well why do I have these urges? Why do I have this, you know? I mean, I was a youth pastor for a lot of years. I talked to a lot of teenage boys like, you know, why did God give me this desire and then tell me I can't fulfill this, right? Here's what, I, here's what I've come to believe. I think this is really good. It, I, it was to create a space for choice. Would you choose to trust God or would you choose to please yourself? The truth is often we just don't believe that God has our best interest in mind or that God has something better than the pleasure I see right in front of me. 
We don't believe that God will bless us and provide joy and pleasure for us that's greater than that thing that I think is gonna bring me pleasure right here in the moment. We don't truly trust that if I'm obedient to God that he will bring joy and goodness and blessing into our lives. So what do we do? So we take what we can take right now in front of us and we fall short. Jesus demonstrated in his life that he was willing to please God, even to the point of enduring the cross. He would rather please God and endure the cross. Hebrews 12.2 is a verse that's always just baffled me in terms of, of Jesus. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus was willing to endure pain. Jesus was, in, was, was able to suffer. Jesus, Jesus did that, why? Because there was a, a greater joy that was put before him, and that greater joy was relationship with you and me. Because he knew that if he didn't go to the cross, every single one of us is lost for eternity. But because of the joy of the idea that now we would have the opportunity to, to restore our relationship with God, Jesus said, I will joyfully endure the pain. I will joyfully say no to my own desire to not have pain, and I'll endure the cross. So again, Jesus is our example. And at the core of our understanding on how to live out our sexuality, we need to understand this one thing, okay? I do not know best. Can you all repeat that with me? I do not know best. Let's say that again one time with some gusto. I do not know best. Amen. I don't know best in this area of my life. I, I, I need God to guide and direct me, just like in every other area. And if you're a follower of Jesus, the reality is your body does not even belong to you. We read this last week, 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20 says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Which is a great thing to, to remember. Hey, whatever's happening in your life, you know, especially in the area of sexuality, like the Holy Spirit is in you. Okay, he's there. He's alongside you. He's watching what's going on, right? And, and the question is, are you pleasing him or not? Uh, he's in you and you've received him from God and then it goes on and says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. In other words, honor God, don't just go after your own pleasure. Our lives are not to be governed exclusively by our appetites in any area of life, but they're supposed to be governed by God's way and God's will. And this is especially true in the area of sexuality. Central to uh, the call to follow Jesus is the idea that we must deny ourselves. I mean, Jesus says this in Mark 8.34, 8, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. I, I, I mean, central to the idea that, hey, we always say, hey, Jesus never promised it was gonna be easy. No, actually, Jesus promised it was gonna be hard. 
Jesus said, if you're going to live in this broken, fallen world, like, it's going to be hard, right? There, there are going to be things that you are going to have to do because of your fallen nature, because of the sinful nature of the world, because of the brokenness in the world around us. It is going to be hard to live counterculturally. In fact, he just says, look, if you're going to be my disciples, you will have to learn to deny yourself and take up a cross and follow me. So to truly experience and fully experience sexuality the way God designed it, to experience true sexual intimacy, we all will have to deny ourselves to say no to fleshly desires that we have. Now, this is not a popular idea, especially in a culture where the pursuit of happiness is seen as a right that must be protected at all costs. We live in a culture that says, man, if it feels good, do it. it you know, if, if you got the urge, you should fulfill it. Like, just like seek your happiness. I, 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 I love our country, think there's a lot of great things about it. One of, the, one of the faults that we have, I think, that is nestled into the DNA of our culture is this concept of that we have the right to the pursuit of happiness. And, and the reason is, is because if all we do is pursue happiness, we will find ourselves at odds with the God who created everything. Because God says, hey, look, you're gonna have to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Unfortunately, too often we settle for less than God's best and we wonder why we experience sexual pain, frustration, dissatisfaction, brokenness. So I want to take a look at some of this together um, in light of what it looks like depending on where you're at in life. Okay, now here, here's kind of a preface that I, that I need to give is this. Um, I am talking right now to people who are, are followers of Jesus Christ right? If, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you may look at this and go, man, that sounds pretty intrusive, right? Like, because if you're all about like, oh, I need to just follow my desires, uh, you know, if I just, you know, if it feels like I should do that, I should, I should trust my urges, all that other stuff. If you're at the center of your world rather than Christ, then this may not make sense to you, um, but I hope that you'll come to see that this is actually a better way and that Jesus has better for you than you could ever do on your own. But I'm talking to people who are followers of Jesus Christ at the moment, okay? Um, so let's say, let's say that you're a single person, whether a young person um, or, or you're single and you've been single most of your life for whatever reason. So, um, and so if you're single, okay, to avoid sexual immorality, right, to avoid adultery, to do, you will have to deny yourself. You'll have to say no to premarital sex, right? You have to say no, and, and that includes things like sexual touching, oral sex, all those things, okay? It, it, it all counts. It would be saying no to lust, right? You, still, you would have to say no. You'd have to deny yourself lust, which includes all the stuff that comes on your cell phones, sexting and everything else. Right, yeah, like that, 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 that would be something you would have to deny yourself of, okay? It would include, but it wouldn't be limited to pornography. And, and let me just talk for just a second about pornography um, because it is hard. It, it, pornography is a hard no for any follower of Jesus. 
And in our electronic culture, it's hard to avoid. And the statistics tell us that three out of every 10 men view porn regularly, all right? So don't look around the room and go, hmm, I wonder, I wonder, you know, right? But just think about that. Three out of 10. And the numbers for women are rapidly rising. It used to be predominantly a male issue, but man, the number of women viewing pornography is jumping like crazy. And part of the reason is those stupid cell phones, right, that we carry around everywhere. And you can get anything and everything just with a swipe, right? But pornography, I was thinking about this this week, and I thought about it this way. Pornography is to human sexuality what the coronavirus has been to physical human health. Some people say, you know, it doesn't hurt anyone. And that, my friends, is a lie from the pit of hell. Let, let, let me tell you how I know that. When we were in Cambodia not too long ago, um, you know, we'd been out with the churches, out with the pastors. Everything's great when you're out there, you know, kind of doing Lord's work and everything's going great. And then we took a little time at the end of the trip to kind of like rest for a day before we had to fly home. And we're in kind of one of the touristy areas. And there's, you know, um, lots of cool, lots of like artifacts and lots of like old ancient temples and things to look at and all this stuff. And we were having dinner one night. And I mean, while we're having dinner, this guy walks up to us and solicits us right there on the spot and says, hey, you guys want some women, right? And I'm like, we're like, what? And he actually looked, yeah, and he says, yeah, you want some boom boom? And I was like, okay, now, you know, that's, that's, you know, I'm like, what in the world, right? And then I look at the guy and I go, I look at the guy and I literally go like this, I go, uh-uh, I go, no, I'm married. And you know what he said? He goes, oh, so you want younger woman, <laughs> right? And I, I, I told somebody this this week, I, especially as a dad with four daughters and an amazing wife, I wanted to just choke that guy, right? I was just like, oh, folks, it, it, it is real, it is out there, and it's not limited to places like Cambodia and Bangkok and other crazy places. I, like, it is right out here in our world, and it does incredible damage, and pornography feeds all that. Pornography is a multi-trillion dollar industry that feeds the sex traffic industry that has, a hundred, that has an estimated 27 million people held captive in sex trafficking. And man, it destroys lives. It destroys relationships. So, those of you who are struggling with pornography, at any level, my prayer is that you will find some accountability and some help so that you can say no to that. This is why we have the wonderful ministry like CR that says, hey, there's a place where you can go where you, where you can work on your hurts, your habits, and your hangups. Because folks, this is a habit that will ruin you. I mean, in, in 2014, a study found that frequent porn usage actually leads to the shrinking of a part of your brain. It's called the stratum, and it controls the reward sensors in your brain. And if you view sex, uh, pornography too much, it, it will shrink, and then you'll need more to simulate it more, right? And then as you do that more and more, it shrinks more and more, and then your body just doesn't know what to do with it, right? 
A sexuality, uh, I'm sorry, a Psychology Today article said this, uh, heavy porn usage creates a dopamine, I think this is on the screen, so you should kind of check this out. Uh, Heavy porn usage creates a dopamine and adrenaline baseline that no real world partner can match. That pornography misrepresents nearly all regular sexual situations and interaction. This creates a falsified perception in the viewer. So do you know what this is saying? It says, hey, if you frequently are looking at pornography, okay, you start to mess with your body's chemistry and, and, and the, like the dopamine and the adrenaline, so you know, the, the, the excitement factor and the, the feel-good factor and all that stuff. And it starts to tweak that in a way that, hey, that, that you can no longer be that excited with a real person in front of you. So, and I'm going to just tell you, like, for all of you young people, man, I, I know you guys are on your phones all the time, and, it, and do not allow the pornography and the sexuality on your phones to capture you because it will ruin your life. It will ruin your relationships. And there are people in this room, in a room this size with this many people, I, I know that there's people who know that this is true. And I've seen way too many times it just destroy people and destroy marriages. See, all of this leads to sexual trauma and dysfunction, and over time it will cause you not even to be able to be aroused by an actual loving partner. So let's put it bluntly. Pornography will destroy your sexuality. It will ruin your life. So we want to make sure that you find help for that. And I want to encourage you, you know, again, CR is a great place. If you need a a, a private place to talk about that, then, you know, send me an email. I would be happy to share with you how we can help you walk through that because that is not something that God has planned for your sexuality. Okay, so we're talking about if you're single. So if you're single, you have to deny yourself. That's a cross that you're going to have to carry is that you're going to have to say no to premarital sex, to to pornography, and all those types of things. You're going to have to say no to adultery. Now, if you're single and... You know, let's say someone who's single and struggles with same-sex attraction, or you, or you have uh, gender issues where you maybe you say you feel like your gender doesn't match your biological sex, you feel like you're a girl trapped in a man's body, vice versa, right? Well, then what, what, what would your cross to bear look like? Likewise, you would need to deny yourself or say no to premarital sex, right? Pretty much the same thing. You would have to deny yourself lust, You'd have to deny or say no to pornography, and you would have to say no to doing just whatever you want to your body if you're a follower of Christ, because like we said earlier, your body's not your own. You have to ask God's permission. I wasn't going to tell the story, but I I think I will real quick. I I mean, it's, it's down to like, have you ever thought about that? I mean, your body doesn't belong to you. And... And so I had a guy who, who was talking to me one time, and he was asking, he was really upset at his wife because she didn't want him to get a tattoo. And I looked at the guy, and I said, why, why are you so upset? And he goes, well, you know, because my wife's giving me all this grief and whatever else. And I said, well, I said, you know, the, the, the Bible says that she's right. And he goes, what? Like, and I said, no, not that, not that the tattoo thing's wrong. I said, it's that... She gets to make, she gets to be part of that decision, right? And I said, because your body's not your own. 
And this guy looked at me with this look, like it, it like took him a long time to process that. He's just like, what are you talking about? Like that is so foreign, right? Like that, that doesn't make sense to me. Like of course it's my own. I'm like, no. And, and it, number one, your body belongs to God, so you've gotta ask him. And then, if you're married, you gotta talk to your spouse, which we'll get to in just a second, right? But the reality is, is if you're a follower of Jesus, your, your body's not your own. And it doesn't matter what your attractions are, it doesn't matter anything, you still have to say no to urges that go against what God says is best for you. Um, some single people will desire to get married, and especially in our culture, because I think from a young age, we are conditioned to believe that marriage is the highest relational goal, and we're conditioned to believe that sexual intercourse is the highest form of sexual expression. Biblically speaking, however, neither one of those things are true. We tend to believe that unless one is having sexual intercourse with another person, that his or her sexuality is not being fully manifested. But that's not true. As we saw last week, both Jesus and Paul make a case for the believer, that singleness is not just a viable option, but for many, it's actually the best option. We don't like hearing that in our culture, but that's, that's what the Bible says. But this cuts against our cultural and even religious norms because we believe, like, well shoot, you have to have sex, right? That's what our world tells us, and we fall for that hook, line, and sinker, but into that argument walks Jesus, who is our model for how we're supposed to live our lives and what real spirituality looks like, who was fully human and fully celibate and he was totally fulfilled. And I know you might say, oh yeah, but he was Jesus. He's still our example, folks. So some, some who are single, may have to carry that cross and say no. But the church is not helped. Like I said last week, the church is not helped in terms of helping single people achieve that. We, we continue to push like, oh, you know, you have to, you, you need to get married, you need to have sex, all these other things, okay? And, and that, that is just false, and we need to be able to come around people who are single. Some people will say, well, okay, yeah, that's easy for you to say, pastor, because you're married, right? And, and I'm like, <laughs> there's part of me that's like, yeah, when I got married, I hit the jackpot, man, it's like, I, you know, I mean, like my wife, Brenda, she's, she's amazing. But, but okay, let's, let's see how easy it is for married people, right? So what, what if you're married? What does that mean for your sexuality, right? If you're single, you have to make decisions. You have to carry a certain cross. You have to say no to something. What about if you're married, right? Now, again, when I talk about marriage, I'm talking about God's design for marriage between one man and one woman's case. Okay? So I just have to clarify all this. But you need, okay, if you're married, you still need to deny yourself. You still need to say no to any extramarital sex, right? You, you, you can't say, well, you know, I feel this way or this happened or whatever, you know, you, you know or, or hey, my marriage isn't going so great, right? It just says no. That is a cross that you carry. That, that, that is a, something you have to deny yourself of. You have to deny yourself of lust because it says if you've lusted in your, you've already committed adultery in your heart, so you have to say no to that. You have to say no to pornography, and you have to say no. Now check this out, this is where I think it gets harder for people to, who are married sometimes. 
You have to say no to any selfish sexual desire that impedes sexual intimacy with your spouse. I mean, this, this is where it gets tough. This is where it requires work. This is why God said you should be married and you should stay married for the rest of your life because it's going to take you that long, right, to really work this out. And no matter how great you thought when you were first about to get married or when you were young and thinking about getting married and how great you thought sex was gonna be, man, as you learn, as you grow together with a loving spouse who's a believer in Christ, it only gets better if you follow God's rules. And it only gets worse if you're selfish. So you can't, you have to say no to any kind of selfish desire that impedes your intimacy with your spouse. Sex inside of marriage may be great, but for many, it's not. Some of the most sexually frustrated people I know are people who are married. People who have followed the world's design for self-gratifying, consumer-based sex, even within marriage, rather than the oneness and intimacy that God has designed for us to experience. Folks, like I said, sexual intimacy is actually hard work. It requires selflessness, vulnerability, sacrifice, putting your spouse's needs above your own. And the Bible speaks to this. In in 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 7, we we looked at this a little bit last week, but he says, now regarding the questions that you asked in your letter. So the Corinthians had written Paul and said, hey, we got questions, right? Right? So, and they have these questions about sexuality. He says, and Paul said, yes, it's good to abstain from sexual relations, but because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, each woman should have her own husband. The husband, now check verse three, and this is, this is where things get a little, little crazy for some people, right? It says, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. And typically we say, all the men in the room said, amen. Like, that's not a problem. And then it says, and the wife should fulfill her husband's sexual needs, right? And the wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Then it actually goes on and says, do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And then he says, I say this as a concession, not as a command, but I wish everyone were single just as I am. And this is the Apostle Paul speaking. Yet each person has a special gift from God, one of one kind or another. Now listen, these, these verses can never be misconstrued to give anyone the right to demand anything from their spouse or act in a way that is in any way abusive. This whole thing that God is talking about only works in a relationship where mutual submission, care, and trust have already been established. And this is key to understanding sexual intimacy. Trust at the core is so vitally important to this. Folks, the purpose for this series is to begin the conversation about sexuality. And some of you married people, you need to start talking. It pains me to see how many married couples, they they don't even talk about it, they just get upset about it, or confused about it, or frustrated about it, and they don't talk to one another. They just have it, or they don't. 
Now, I know that some of these things are generalizations that border on stereotypes, so please don't blow up my email this week, okay? But many men approach sex in marriage as a right. They, see, they still see their wives as an object to fulfill their needs, and they make meager attempts to attempt to fulfill their wife's need for emotional and physical intimacy outside the bedroom, right? And many women feel that they are used by their husbands. They struggle with the physical and emotional pain and often resort to using sex to control or to punish their husbands. Folks, none of this is God's desire for sexuality in the context of marriage. And I would say that inside marriage, there's a lot of work to be done. I mean, when's the last time that you had a good conversation, for those of you who are married, about the sexuality in your marriage, like a good conversation about it. I mean, men, men, when's the last time you asked your wife a question like this? Like, you ask your wife, what can I do to make you feel loved and safe in our relationship? Just, just having those conversations is game changer, folks. When's the last time, men, that you, you, you asked <coughs> your wife, what would make you feel more connected to me? I mean, that connection point is, is huge for women. What, men, have you ever asked your wife, what would make our sex life more enjoyable for you? Right? And, and then women, I mean, women, could you ask your husband, like, what can I do to make you feel appreciated and respected in our relationship? Or what would let you know that I truly care for you sexually? I mean, when's the last time that you had that kind of deep conversation? And, and then talk together about how you safeguard your marriage against all the other forms of sexual temptation and urges how do you affair-proof your marriage, right? How do you talk about how you make that happen? The reality is to experience God's best for us will require surrender of our desires and our longings to God. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says this. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God. Because of all he's done for you, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is a true way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you. Now listen to this. Which is good and pleasing and perfect. You think God's not about your pleasure? He is. His will for you is pleasing in every arena of life. But you have to surrender. You have to literally put that thing on the altar and sacrifice your longings and your desires to him. Say, God, this is yours. I'm putting this out there for you to be in control of. And when you do, when you do, you'll experience the joy and the pleasures that God wants you to experience. But the reality is we mess this up so much. We mess this up all the time. And we're in good company. 
Many of you remember King David. Um, and, and King David was really, I mean, still considered one of the greatest kings in all of Israel. And, and, and yet, at the height of his reign, when everything was going great, David decided that he would take control, that he would give in to his desires. And one night, he was walking out on the patio of the kingdom. He saw Bathsheba, you know, bathing on the rooftop. And, and then his desire gave way to lust, and the lust caused him to take action, and he said, hey, somebody bring her to me. And then he, he ends up having sex with her, and, and then he's thinking, okay, you know, and she goes back home, and he thinks, okay, nobody, no, nobody knows what's going on, but then she, they find out she's pregnant. She says, hey, I'm pregnant, and then he goes through this thing of trying to cover it up. And he tries to cover it up first by having her, her husband, Uriah, who, by the way, was one of David's bodyguards, right? Like, has him come home from the battlefield so that he can say, hey, I know what I'll do. I'll get him home. He'll go home. Well, he's home. He'll come home, you know, because he's been away for a long time. He'll sleep with his wife. And then, you know, nobody will know that it's not his child and everything, and he'll just sweep it under the rug. But Uriah was too much of a righteous guy, wouldn't even go in, you know, into his own home. And, and so David tries to get him drunk even. That doesn't work. So David sends him back out to the army with a letter. He carries his own death warrant. He carries with him a letter that says, hey, during the, during the battle, put Joab at the front and then withdraw from him and let him be killed. You know why? All to cover up his sin. If David had had his way, we wouldn't have been talking about this right now. Right? If, if David's plan would have worked, it would have all got covered up. And we wouldn't be talking about it. But he also would have died with his sinfulness. But God loved him too much for that. And you know what God did? God sent the prophet Nathan. And Nathan walks in. Can you imagine being Nathan? He walks into literally who would have been one of the most powerful men in the world at that moment. And he walks right into David and he tells him a little story and he says, you're the man. Like you did this. You committed adultery and you had this guy killed. And David falls on his face in repentance before the Lord. All because he gave in to sexual temptation why this can go wrong so fast. But, but I, and, and in a room like this, I know that some of you are struggling with guilt and shame. Some of you have suffered abuse. Some of you are, are confused. Some of you um, have so many questions about this. But, but here's what I want you to know. You have a God who cares for you. You have a God who wants the best in this part of your life. He wants what is so good for you. And I want you to listen. We're going to close with this. I, I want you to listen to, to one of David's psalms. Because I think it's so important. And, and we all have this cross to bear. We have to deny ourselves. But sometimes when we mess up, man, we need to know that there's forgiveness. And so in Psalms 32, starting in verse 3, it says this. This is David speaking. The same guy who committed the adultery, committed murder, tried to hide it all, but listen to what he says. He says, when I refused to confess my sin, 
my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Some of you know that pain of guilt and shame that's just playing over and over again in your mind, that, that it literally impacts you and you, you, can't, you can't sleep. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. But then listen to verse 5. Finally, I confessed all my sin to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. And then it says, and I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And here's the great line. And you forgave me. My guilt is gone. And that's a place that some of you need to be today. You know, I think all of us need to, to look deep inside because we all need God's grace, His forgiveness, and His restoration. Folks, your heavenly Father, He is not trying to keep something away from you. He created you. He created your sexuality. He created it for good, and he has your best in mind. The question is this today. Will you trust him? The line that went over and over in my head this week was at the end of David's struggle. It says, what David had done displeased the Lord. And I just sat with that, and I thought, man, are the choices I'm making displeasing the Lord? Do you, and, he, and ultimately, at the end of the day, the question is this. Are, is it more important for you to, to seek your own pleasure or pleasing God? And folks, there is forgiveness because of the cross. And that's why each week we remind ourselves of this with uh, taking communion. And we do this each week to remind us of the incredible forgiveness that God has for us. That no matter where we're broken, no matter what's going on in our lives, that God can heal us. That God, God wants to restore us and God wants your good. So together, let's remember Christ's broken body that he gave on our behalf. Let's take the bread together. And then there's the cup that represents his blood that, sh that covered our sins and took away our guilt. Let's take that together. And this morning, if you're struggling, if you need prayer, um, I'm going to ask uh, any of our elders or staff to come up front. If your spouses are with you, we'd love to have you come forward. If you need prayer, if you just want to talk to someone, We'll be here. We'll hang around a little bit after service if you want to talk to somebody because we want you to experience the grace, the forgiveness, and the goodness that God has for you. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy, your forgiveness. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of sexuality, but Father, help us to be able to surrender that to you and to surrender all of our desires and all of our longings and to place those on the altar and trust you with the results. We love you, Lord, and we thank you, and we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the NPFCC Messages podcast. If you'd like to support the work of our church, head to npfcc.org give to make a one-time or reoccurring gift. For more information about us, you can always check out our website at npfcc.org. Again, that's npfcc.org.